as part of my pre-diabetes class at my local hospital, I kept a food diary and began sticking myself frequently, 10 to 15 times a day, to see how foods affected my blood sugar. Eating out was a challenge because I couldn't know exact ingredients and measurements. We love barbecue, so I skipped the bread and potato thinking I was being good and had the highest reading I've ever had. I took it twice. That's when it hit me that this was real and I would need to seriously change my eating habits. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we interview healthcare professionals, caregivers, patients, and their loved ones as they navigate through our complex U.S. healthcare system and provide tips and insights for the rest of us. I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Melanie Bailey Mills. She is an emerita professor of communication and women's studies at Eastern Illinois and was involved uh, in one of the first interdisciplinary health communication programs in Illinois uh, for 17 years. And today she is going to be talking about living well with diabetes and other comorbidities. So welcome to the podcast, Melanie. Thank you. Good to be here. So in your opening story, it's barbecue sauce, so that... Um... Oh, I know. It's, it's horrible. No more barbecue sauce for me. And I don't... Um, and, and I'll be honest, I... Think I it's true of a lot of condiments, too. Ketchup oh, is yeah. full of sugar and salad dressings um, and stuff like that. I always get on the side for the same reason. And I don't think a lot of us know that. I mean, I don't really think of it very often. You know, when I'm eating something, I, you know, I watch my stepson put, you know, loads of, you know, condiments and, and ketchup and he loves barbecue sauce. And only then did I realize, hey, there must be something in here um, that's, right. uh, that's so good for people. So, yeah. So, um, so you were diagnosed with diabetes when? How long ago was that? Well, there are uh, different kinds of diabetes and I've had two. Um, the first time I... Uh, was diagnosed diabetic was when I was pregnant with my youngest child and uh, that was gestational diabetes and they told me at the time that you know it indicated that you know possibly down the road I might have blood sugar issues um, which I did um, approximately 10 years after that mm-hmm. and um, type 2 type 2 oh, okay. diabetes which is different than type 1 type 1 diabetes um, is is where you are totally insulin um, or insulin is absent. Um, my body makes insulin, but it doesn't. Um, it's it's called insulin resistance, type two diabetes, um, which means I don't handle it very well. Mm-hmm. But my body's still producing insulin. And when I'm when we think of diabetes, and and for those of us perhaps who don't have diabetes, when I hear the term, it is almost always in conjunction with food and sugar. That's all I hear. Diabetes is about food and sugar. And so it sounds like um, you got into sort of a a routine of checking your sugars when you eat and wondering if you could talk a, a little bit about how, how that, how that worked for you in the beginning, you know, when you first started doing that to, to where you are now. Okay. Um, Well, uh, like I said, this began a long time ago um, because uh, I was in my early 40s uh, at the time I was diagnosed pre-diabetic. 
Uh, and fortunately, uh, that's an er- it was an early diagnosis, and a lot of people don't uh, get that. So it's important if, if uh, diabetes runs in your family to have it checked uh, because you can't feel it um, per se, uh, although there are you know, symptoms that you could look back on and say, oh, yeah, you know, I, uh, I am a little more thirsty than I used to be. I am going to the bathroom more than I used to. Um, I had uh, blurred vision sometimes, slow healing wounds, dry skin, um, forgetfulness. You know, a lot of those things are just such a normal part of aging. We don't think to connect them with diabetes um, until you get a diagnosis. And then you look back and say, oh, yeah, <laughs> I did it. I did have those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes um, you may need to ask your healthcare provider. Um, I... Uh, I changed healthcare providers um, in my mid-40s, and he came into the room and he looked at me and he said, whoa, you know, I am uh, I wasn't expecting to see you. And I thought, well, you know, I'm Melanie Mills. And, and he said, no, no, I mean that, you know, from your charts, I thought I would walk in and see a 400-pound woman, mm-hmm. which totally floored me because, um, you know, I weigh you know, 135 pounds. Mm. <laughs> wow, know? so wait, so, so why did he say that? What, what was in your chart that, that he said that he thought you were a 400-pound woman? Well, uh, my the fact that I was hypertensive and on medication for mm. hypertension, along with uh, blood sugar numbers, um, you know, which were elevated, because at that point I was not treated for them. Um, I now take uh, 500 milligrams of metformin with dinner, um, which is a, a fairly low dosage. Um, I mean, it's kind of the beginning of, um, you know, better living through chemistry kind of, mm-hmm. kind of treatment of, of diabetes, you know, beyond the diet, exercise, and managing your stress levels and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which are all, you know, all important. Um, kind of going back to your original question, you know, yeah, we always um, consider diet first because it is certainly important um, when it comes to your body uh, making glucose. Uh, but, uh, it, and, and the other thing that surprises people about diet is they tend to think of it as refined sugars. Um, but really, all carbs turn into sugar. So that includes your breads and pastas um, mm. as well. Uh, and in fact, that was a lot more difficult for me to change um, in my diet. Than, I mean, I, I didn't have much difficulty, <clears throat> excuse me, dropping sweets, you know, cakes, candy, cookies, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, cutting back on the bread and the pasta and rice Oh my gosh, my husband used to be a rice farmer, so, you know, that's God's great food in his family, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, uh, you know, I I don't eat very much rice anymore either. Yeah, I Um, think if we we looked at, you know, if each of us looked at what we ate and what was on our plate, if you took out the the sugars that we, we think of and identify with, you know, sweets and cakes and candy, but then if we look at other carbs, like you're talking rice and bread, and we start taking that out, that really is a lot of, of what many people eat. Well, right, and a lot of foods we consider health foods are not healthy for diabetics. You know, for example, granola mm. is very high in um, sugar-dried fruits, 
um, often have uh, a lot of sugar in them. Um, corn syrup is not your friend, so reading labels is uh, important too. Um, I don't drink juice um, mm. anymore because the, the carbs and juice are off the charts. Uh, so I'll eat fruit, um, but, but you know, in addition to the sugars, you want to check glycemic index, which is how the sugars affect your blood sugar. Um, so some fruits are better for you than others. So, for example, watermelon has a really high glycemic index. Um, so I choose, you know, berries instead. So this this seems like, um, I mean, just, just hearing you talk about all of this, there, there's just so much information about how much you know about how much sugar is in different foods. Is this something that you were taught or is this something that you, you sort of learned on your own? Well, a little of both. Um, I started in the pre-diabetes class at the hospital called Step in the Right Direction. And in that class, we uh, learned how to take care of ourselves with impaired blood sugar uh, issues because uh, people in the class came with, you know, from, uh, you know, with, with blood sugar issues for different reasons. Um, so we uh, walked on a treadmill as a captive audience while they did um, PowerPoint uh, presentations and really... Wait, wait, while, um, wait what? <laughs> I just want to clarify. <laughs> so they were giving you PowerPoint, presenta or PowerPoint presentations and you were walking on a treadmill at the same time? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, double duty. So yeah. exercise because, you know, generally the common wisdom is that it takes 30 days to develop a new habit. So... Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, one of the goals of the program is to change not only your diet and the way you think about food, uh, but also to uh, make you move, uh, mm -hmm. because moving is an important component of uh, good health in general, but particularly uh, for uh, diabetes and a lot of the comorbidities that come with it, heart, congestive heart failure, um, hypertension, um, high lipidity, stuff like that. Right, and so. I, there's a commercial out right now um, for a diabetes drug, and I can't think of the name of it, so maybe our listeners can chime in, where the people are, are putting up little sticky notes of what they think um, is, is the most sort of harmful for diabetes, and it's actually your heart. So at the end, they put all the sticky notes together into the shape of a heart. Have you seen this oh, commercial? Nice. I can't. Yeah, I can't think of what it is. To to point out that for people with diabetes, it's not just about um, you know thinking about your blood sugar and thinking about you know a, a other things that can occur. They were saying that the number one thing was your heart. So. Right. It, I mean, it is very much related. Uh, in fact, uh, my husband had his heart stint put in two years ago, and one of the things they um, were quite relieved about was that he was on a diabetes diet with it with me uh, because yeah. it's a very heart healthy diet as well. Interesting. So, yeah, um, they were like, "Oh, great!" <laughs> so his diet didn't need a lot of, um, you know, a lot of improvement. Um, you know, some other things to consider with diabetes that affect your um, blood sugar numbers are hydration too. Dehydration mm -hmm. is an issue that takes a lot of people to the emergency room with, you know, a, a perceived heart problem when it's really, um, you know, you just need to keep hydrated. Uh, 
as we age, we don't get the thirst uh, cue uh, that we did when we were younger, and it's easy to you know, kind of forget to drink water during the day. So another thing I pay attention to is hydrating. Um, I eat frequently uh, rather than, you know, uh, starving for long periods of time and then having a big meal that's not, um, that's not healthy for my sugar. So diabetics are encouraged to graze, Mm. you know, have multiple small meals rather than you know, going a long period of time without food and overeating. So I, so, so one of the things I want to do to reveal to our listeners is that when we think of diabetes, we think of insulin and you had mentioned to me earlier, it's okay to reveal this, that you are actually not insulin dependent. And I think that's shocking because for me, um, and this really highlights how much we don't know about diabetes. I, have this assumption and I wonder if other people do that if you're diabetic you're on insulin and so you're not on insulin can you explain to us why you're not insulin and how you are living with diabetes without being on insulin sure Um, my pancreas is still producing some insulin um, but my body is insulin resistance which resistant which means it's not um, using it uh, maximally so uh, we need insulin to, you know, and our body produces insulin in order to move um, energy or glucose through our bodies, and uh, the insulin helps to do that. So if you're insulin impaired, you might need a little help. Um, and, uh, you know, there are various drugs uh, to do that. I take uh, metformin, uh, like I said earlier, 500 milligrams at supper. Um, I know other people who take um, up to five times the dose that I do, so uh, I I figure I have some wiggle room to increase that medication before I go to insulin. But if my, you know, if I get to the point, and and you know, I I likely will at some point where my body doesn't produce insulin at all, then I'll then I'll do injections, but. Mm Until that point, the metformin is working. So I, so I have two follow-up questions. One is, have your doctors ever said to you, you know, Melanie, if you didn't do all the things that you're doing, watching your diet, exercising, et cetera, you would be on insulin? Have they ever made a comparison? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely they have. Um, I, am, uh, I am a model patient, though, because I'm very compliant. Um, I... <laughs> Uh, want to be healthy. I want to live well. And, you know, when, you know, when I was told I would have to change, you know, some, some things in my life to do that, I worked hard at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think part of that was because I had already been through this with the hypertension. Um, I've been taking medication for that since I was 24. So it was kind of like, oh man, I need to do that again with something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled a lot more with a hypertension uh, diagnosis at 24 than I did with the pre-diabetes diagnosis in my early 40s and then diabetes diagnosis in my 50s. So, you know, my, my blood sugar uh, is, you know, it, it is creeping up, um, but I have kept it at pre-diabetes levels um, 
for a long time. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, you, you say compliant, and I also think, though, it's a case of you sound very self-motivated, like you wanted to make these changes for yourself. And, and a term you had used before is you became this mathematician sort of of your own carb <laughs> counting. <laughs> and I wondered if you could um, just give us an example of, of sort of the extent to which you've become your own mathematician. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of funny because my dad was a mathematician. So, oh. you know, I thought, man, you should have gotten the diabetes because you would enjoy this counting <laughs> stuff more than I do. Uh, but, but I do. I count carbs. Um, I don't have more than 60 carbs in one meal, and that's a splurge. I usually try to aim for more uh, between 30 and 45 carbs. Uh, in a meal, and if you start looking at how many carbs are in things, mm -hmm. uh, you quickly realize that that's not, you know, that's not uh, a normal American portion size. Um, so, for example, if I have um, rice with stir fry, a quarter of a cup of cooked rice is 15 carbs. So, if mm -hmm. I have a half a cup of rice, um, that's my carbs for that meal. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I will, of course, you know, I, I do stir fry a lot of food because it's a good way of um, preparing plant foods. Um, a, a lot of my diet is plant-based. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I do a lot of stir fries and stews and stuff like that. I don't, um, I, I sure don't suffer for lack of flavor in my diet, um, but it, it's a different kind of diet than I had pre-diabetes. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me a little bit about the way in which you were figuring out what you could eat and what worked for you. And I wondered if you could share that insight with our listeners because I, I know some other individuals with diabetes and they really struggle knowing um, how much a, a food affects them. And so how did, how did you figure out what, because you had said to me that um, different foods affect people differently. So how did you figure out how much, you know, the sugar the pineapple had versus how much, you know, some other food had. Yeah. Well, part of it is reading um, because you can read what, you know, high glycemic foods are and then test yourself. Um, the first year uh, that I uh, was using the glucometer, I had unlimited blood strips uh, through my insurance company, which was very nice, and I didn't know that I would only have that for a year. Uh, which was kind of interesting to me, too. That's a whole other topic. But, you know, uh, you learn by um, eating and then sticking yourself. And ideally, um, for a diabetic, uh, your uh, blood sugar numbers that are measured by the glucometer will be under 180 two hours after eating. So if you eat refined sugar, that's going to shoot your sugar up. And really, one of your goals for good health is to keep your sugar, you know, within a tighter range so that you don't have spikes and drops. Um, diabetic coma doesn't come from the high blood sugar. It comes from the dip after um, an instance of high blood sugar. Um, the spike will drop to dangerously low levels. And that's one of the things that metformin does. Um, and the reason that I take it with my evening meal, because it keeps my blood sugar from going under 80 while I sleep. Um, I know some type 1 diabe diabetics who need to 
uh, wake themselves up in the middle of the night to check their blood sugar because their bodies don't produce any insulin at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes if you go a long period of time without food, uh, it can be quite dangerous um, because your sugar goes very low. Um, so, you know, that was interesting to me because I thought diabetes was a high blood sugar issue and, and actually a lot of the danger comes from being very low. So you're you're so, looking 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 at the numbers um, that are both on the back of the foods, but also looking at your own numbers. So so doing a lot of right. strip testing to figure out how the sugars affect your body. The next thing uh, that I want to ask you about are um, if you could share some of your motivators, because you seem very motivated to do this. And what are some things that really stuck with you that keep you going? Well, um, one, one thing is a personal circumstance. My, my husband is visually impaired and, and has been for seven years. And I have probably been a better, better diabetic in the last seven years than the seven before that because one of the side effects of, of diabetes is blindness. And if we are both blind, uh, our wings are clipped. And mm-hmm. we both very much want to... Uh, maintain as much independence as we can. So, you know, one of my motivators is, I guess, uh, you know, a sort of fear. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, I don't feel motivated by fear. It's just kind of a practical consideration that, you know, we've got to have one set of working eyeballs in this in this household. (laughs) And right now that's me. So, uh, you know, that does help me uh, when I think about, you know, cheating or slacking off. Um, you know, I, we want to we want to keep doing life as we're as we're doing it. We travel a lot. Um, we have a lot of fun doing that, and and sure sure do want to continue it. Um, another thing is there have been you know I have uh, uh, both my maternal and paternal grandparents had diabetes, and there were amputations. So mm-hmm. you know I know at the end of both of my grandfather's lives. Um, they were very depressed, which is another comorbidity, mm-hmm. um, because of their loss of independence. So, you know, I have a fierce um, determination to keep my independence as long as I can, and it really does motivate me to, um, you know, engage in healthy behavior with my conditions. Yeah. Um, so, and. and and, you know, I, I have had some vivid reminders along the way of, you know, potential outcomes if I am not good um, with my uh, self-care. And one of those was in the Step in the Right Direction class where uh, an older gentleman who was on a treadmill next to me um, called over one of the nurses and said, you know, he felt he, uh, you know, um, Diabetes also comes with neuropathies, and one of the, you know, one of the things is sometimes you can't feel the nerves in your extremities, or when you do feel them, they hurt. Um, and he said he felt a squishing sensation in his shoe, but he wasn't feeling pain. Mm. So they took him off the treadmill, sat him down in a chair, and took his shoe off mm. um, to find that half his heel came off in his shoe. Oh my gosh! Uh, and and it was so incredibly sad um you know he wasn't in pain 
but it was clear that you know his heel was not going back mm-hmm. on his foot. Oh my God. And uh, and he later did have uh, an amputation, and mm-hmm. and that broke my heart. And uh, I was determined that that would not be my story. So you know, checking your feet is you know is protocol for being a good diabetic. You need to check things because one of the things that that happens sometimes is. Um, diabetics are vulnerable to gangrene um, because of circulation in their extremities and um, and the neuropathies uh, make uh, their feet their feet don't have the feelings that normal people have so you have to check otherwise you know a lot of times we check our well-being by how we feel and uh, diabetes inhibits those kinds of feelings yeah and I've seen so that you, before you have to check yeah, I've seen it at the doctor's office. They'll say, take your shoes off for diabetics. So I've seen that sign. Um, we're, we're, a little, we're, we're at that halfway point, and I want to transition now into talking about some, some insights and tips that you have. And I thought we might start um, you know, going back to the physician and the, the comment that was made when they walked through the door and, and some other things that you've learned. You did already mention... Um, about uh, being aware of pre-diabetes, like asking doctors and symptoms. So what advice do you have for us who aren't diabetic? Things like what what should we be asking our doctors and what advice do you have for us? Sure, Um, make sure they do an A1C test. Um, It's a a blood sugar test that you can't cheat for. Uh, You can can cheat on the fasting blood sugar test by, you know, eating well the the day before. Um, and then you'll, you might, you'll have a better fasting number, um, which is one of the numbers I use as a diagnostic tool. Um, but you, you can get around that by, you know, just being good for a little while before the fast fasting stick. Um, an A1C test is a much more reliable indicator of your blood sugar over a course of three months. Mm-hmm. So, um, the A1C numbers, uh, a, a normal A1C number is uh, below 5.6. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your A1C number is creeping up between 5.6 to 6.9, that's going to put you in the pre-diabetic range. Um, okay. And once it's over 7, um, you'll be diagnosed as diabetic. Um, diabetes is not reversible. From a diagnostic standpoint, you know, once you have it, you have it. Um, but it can be reversible from a physiological standpoint. So you can lower your blood sugar um, so that you are a diabetic and good. So, um, I mean, it means that you can keep your blood sugar in a healthy range. You can stay off or minimize uh, medications and, and live a healthy life. You know, a lower carb diet helps. Exercise helps. Um, staying hydrated is important. You know, those are, are fairly simple things. Um, there are other things that you learn along the way um, that will elevate your sugar. Um, I had shoulder surgery a year and a half ago and discovered that uh, extreme pain elevates my blood sugar. Mm. Um, I had uh, um, a steroid injection uh, for something else and steroids. Uh, increase your blood, uh, your blood sugar. Um, in fact, my doctor uh, gave me half a shot, and I had to come back a week later for the other half a shot. 
um, so that we didn't elevate my sugar too much. Um, but it's, you know, kind of staying vigilant about those things and asking when you have something new going on, you know, it's like, will this, you know, will this inter- interact with my um, blood sugar medication? Will it interact with my hypertension medication? How do those things coexist? Do they play well together? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that, um, you know, new information that has only been around in the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. Asking questions is critical. I mean, it's, it's a good way of learning and it's a, you know, a good way of, um, keeping your, your health providers on your team. Yeah. You know, working with you. When you had mentioned about um, pre-diabetes numbers, um, it reminds me, I was on a pre-diabetes research group, and they were talking about how to make this, um, the the concept of pre-diabetes more important. And when you had mentioned your A1C being, what was it, between 5.6 and 6.9, I think you had said. Um, Right. I've heard many people say, I never got a call The doctor was not concerned, and so um, part of that may be that we have to be more aware and look at our numbers and ask questions if they are above a certain number. It doesn't mean you're diabetic. It means that you need to have a conversation and ask questions. I think that's really sound advice. Um, Can you you tell me a little bit um, in regards to, we've been using this term comorbidity, uh, and thinking about some of the language that's used um, to talk about diabetes and, and really challenging some of these assumptions. Because um, you had talked, I mean, we started this whole conversation about sugar and diet um, and what advice you have um, can give all of us, either th- those who work in the clinical environment or for others in terms of talking about diabetes. Sure. Um, that word comorbidity uh, you know, it's a scary word. It's an icky word. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a term that uh, was coined in the 1970s to describe uh, overlapping or coexisting conditions. You know, in my case, they're hypertension and diabetes, but there are certainly other things that go together. And, um, you know, that's also true for a lot of mental health issues. You know, so on one hand, you know, it's good to have a word um, that healthcare professionals can use to know and treat um, multiple conditions um, and to ensure that interactions, you know, medical um, medicine interactions are reduced and stuff like that, for example. But uh, it's a, it's a scary word to hear as a patient because, you know, morbidity conjures up, you know, kind of it's a dark word. Um, and it, it conjures up, you know, one foot in the grave sorts of, of images. So uh, I have negotiated with my doctor to call, uh, to call it co-conditions just to make me feel better. Yeah. Um, because it, uh, you know, co-conditions sounds so much more survivable than comorbidities. And particularly if you have uh, vulnerabilities uh, toward depression or whatever it's easy to grab onto that word and and feel hope um, you know it's not a it's it's not a positive um, it doesn't lead to positive thinking and there are so many things that that you can do um, other than take medicine or in addition to taking medicine uh, to improve your quality of life I think we need to take great care to um, 
make sure that we don't use language that diminishes that possibility. Morbidities in the clinical world, do you have advice for others who um, you know, may know somebody who's diabetic uh, but don't have diabetes themselves? Uh, surely there are things that you can consider if, if blood sugar is your issue, but if, if um, blood sugar is not your issue, and, uh, but it is the issue for uh, a big issue for a loved one, um, you know, certainly learning more about it, you know, helps them, um, you know, along their journey because it's uh, lonely to journey by yourself. So social support is, is really important. And uh, I think there are a lot of well-meaning people, for example, who, um, you know, have some of the same stereotypes that, you know, that, that you talked about, Nicole. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that it's, that it's cookies, cakes, and, and candy, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's the most important thing. And it's certainly a thing. Uh, but one of the things that my di uh, diabetic nutritionist um, told me that was really nice was that you don't have to give up everything, but you do have to be sensible. So you can have, you know, cookies, if cookies are your thing, you can have a cookie, um, but you just have to, you know, adjust your carbs somewhere else to accommodate that cookie um, and so forth. So one of the things that has been annoying to me over the years as I've disclosed to people that I'm diabetic is, um, you know, particularly from uh, family members, is what I call sugar shaming. And that is, should you really have that piece of cake? And the answer is, yeah, I can have it as long as I don't eat, you know, half the cake and, uh, and, and not adjust for it somewhere else. So uh, it's possible to treat yourself. You just need to be careful not to do it all the time. So sugar shaming, I'd never heard of that, but I, I am also guilty of having done that. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, yeah. that, uh, so, so if you see I'm taking a huge portion, that's, you know, that might bear mention, but uh, don't deny people their little treats here yeah. and there. You know, so, that's, yeah, that's, so, that would be too much loss. You know, in, in my case, you know, I don't I don't eat milk chocolate anymore, but man, mm. just try and take my dark chocolate. <laughs> you know? um, dark chocolate kisses, for example, have three carbs each. You mm. know, that's very low yeah. um, for for a treat food. Um, so oh, nice. so, you know, as long as I'm not eating half a bag, uh, yeah. let me enjoy my chocolate kisses. Nice. <laughs> So we're, you, you sort of helped us segue into the last question, which is advice for people who live with diabetes and, and perhaps touching on some resources as well. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's uh, overwhelming to get that diagnosis because, you know, we know it's a leading cause of death uh, in the United States and actually in the world, um, particularly in um, lower middle income uh, situations. So it's it's important not to let that you know kind of take over your thinking um, because there are a lot of positive things that can come of this too uh, I eat better than I ever would have if I hadn't been diagnosed di uh, di as a diabetic and um, as a result I am healthier um, which is a, is a nice bonus in a in an 
icky situation, right? Um, taking a class really helped um, for multiple reasons. One was learning more about my condition, certainly, um, but also it was really important to meet other people in the same boat, you know, mm-hmm. with the same condition. And we, you know, swap recipes, we check on each other. It's um, it's just an important part of um, a healthcare community. Um, you don't have to go through things by yourself, and you shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't try. Um, life is better in community. Um, so I know that, you know, different people have different affiliation needs and, and so forth. So, But if you can find a buddy um, to for accountability and to share tips with, maybe to walk with, um, because you don't have to, you know, go all out marathon exercising. You know, a simple 30-minute walk most days um, it is enough activity to make a difference in your numbers. Um, you know, for me, making a difference in my numbers gets to be almost a contest. You know, I want to be better than I was before. Um, so, you know, but be realistic too. be kind to yourself. Um, so I think that, you know, as I take care of myself, I'm diminishing the possibility of the horrible side effects of the two conditions that comorbidly exist in my body, um, and uh, and and I have a good life, you know. So I'm, you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, that it's ruined my life uh, by any stretch of the imagination. In a lot of ways, it's made it better. Um, both for me and and my family. So, uh, you know, you get what you get. And uh, it's important to, you know, find find out what your what your limits are, what your possibilities are, and go for it. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, really quickly, just want to tell our listeners, you had mentioned about strips. You said you found them cheaply. How did you find them? Because you said they're... Oh, and on Amazon, okay. you know, it's where you go for everything, right? right. Uh, yeah, after a year, uh, my blood strips uh, were no longer covered in, in mass quantities by my insurance company, which uh, shocked me because, you know, testing your blood is one way of uh, improving your health. So uh, I wanted to continue doing more than one strip, and... Uh, my insurance strip, uh, the cost of my insurance drove the strips up to a dollar each, um, $30 for a month's worth. So uh, I went on Amazon and I found strips that were, um, you know, usable with my glucometer that cost $30 for 200 of them or 15 cents each as opposed to a dollar. That's a big difference. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dr. Melanie. We appreciate having you on here today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Lots of advice and tips for people that uh, either live with someone or someone who has diabetes. So thank you for doing that. And for those of you who are listening, you can like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. Feel free to leave us a message there. Otherwise, you can go to NicoleDeffenbaugh.com slash blog and we are on twitter at stories health so please check us out leave a message and join us again next week this is nicole deffenbaugh for health stories